Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for the next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh. Down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em Sock'em Robots here. Oh my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, what a weekend it was. It is always great to be back in the United States of America, Monday, September 9th, 2019. Appreciate y'all checking back in. Episode 216 of the Anik and Florian podcast. Kenneth Allen Florian, good morning, my man. Looking strong today on video. Looking pretty jacked. Uh, thank you. Uh, no, no, I, uh, <laughs> man, I, I, I got to get on it with the diet. But you, my friend, look a little leaner. Is that from Abu Dhabi? Uh, you look like you cut some weight there. I just ate so much food downstairs that I said to my wife, I think I probably put on eight or 10 pounds since I walked out of that arena. And I'm not even kidding. I was probably 147 pounds walking out of that. Oh my God. At three o'clock AM Abu Dhabi time uh, after the pay-per-view. So a lot to get into today. And, and a lot of people want to hear what Ken Flo has to say about Habib Nurmagomedov and his greatness. And I think big picture, I think a lot of people want to hear from you as far as his grappling ability compared to some of these other guys that we glorify and put on a pedestal. But as far as the broadcast atmosphere was concerned, I'm going to take you back to June 8th, 2013. Jonathan Anik, Kenneth Florian on the broadcast in Fort Deleza, Brazil on the goddamn equator. <laughs> and you know, our late producer, Bruce Connell, came down to the broadcast booth and he's like, John, you know, we, we, the first prelim isn't here and your shirt is completely soaked through. Go get your backup shirt. It's like, dude, I don't bring two dress shirts to the to the venue. So All we right. just had to go with it. So I live in South Florida and we've obviously called fights in places that aren't air conditioned. I know South Florida heat. I know Vegas heat. There is no heat like Abu Dhabi heat. This was just a totally different experience. You know, they say Vegas hair dry in your face, hair dryer in your face, Florida, the humidity's awful. This is just straight desert, Ken Flo. It was <laughs> it was treacherous. Dude, Middle East heat is no joke. I remember Woo. when I was visiting the troops uh in Qatar and it was like 127 degrees outside. They had flags outside indicating whether it was safe to even be outside or not. So yeah. th- that's the kind of heat you experience in the Middle East. It's just a completely different kind of beast. But, uh, dude, I'm I'm sure you were staying hydrated uh, out there. No, did you have like gallons of water next year? Or what? I had a little bit, but you know, the challenges with you finding really a bathroom break that, are exactly. such that it's hard to do. And True. granted, when you're sweating through the broadcast, you do lose some of that water. So right. I did not 
use the restroom for 10 hours. I did the post show right afterwards. So, and it was weird too, because even after the 10 hours, I mean, it sounds so unhealthy to say this, but I didn't even have to use the restroom, right? Because I was really dehydrated. dehydrated. Exactly. Uh, But yeah, no, for whatever reason, even though it was an air conditioned venue, technically, I think it just took a while to get the venue together. By the time that happened, I don't know. But uh, the other thing too, was the restrooms were outside the arena. So I would have had to leave the arena and it would about five, five minutes round trip. And, uh, I run hot to begin with. I figured if I sprint my way back to the broadcast table, yeah. I'm just dripping and that's not helping anybody, but, uh, an amazing show. And I just have to say, you know, everybody on the ground was just so gracious, uh, and so nice and so happy to have the UFC there. And it really was a cool experience to be a part of. Obviously first time the UFC had been in Abu Dhabi since 2014, uh, but this show obviously was of a greater magnitude than that one five years ago. So uh, first of five straight trips, obviously, with title fights for the UFC over the next five years. First one is in the can, and it goes to Khabib Nurmagomedov. And there's a lot of different angles to this main event, obviously. A ton of stuff on Dustin Poirier and how massively disappointing this is for him to come up so, so short. Uh, but for Khabib Nurmagomedov, Ken Flo, once again, with all the pressure on him, these guys seem to think maybe they know what's coming and nobody can hold up under the pressure. I thought he was largely dominant in submitting Dustin over the weekend. Uh, without a doubt. And listen, here's the thing. Everybody does know what's coming and they still can't stop it. That's what's so frustrating. You know, you could look at a guy like a Habib and, you know, say you got to do this and that and stop the takedown and keep it on the feet. Yeah, that sounds great in theory. But there's a reason why the Gracies, um, you know, prove their superiority over other martial arts and why it was overall a much safer and smarter game plan to go out there and clinch your opponent because you're not throwing dice by standing in the pocket and trading like a lot of these guys. Um, you know, and when you go out there and you clinch and you're the better wrestler, you're going to put them on their ass. And that's what Habib Nurmagomedov does best. He safely gets to the clinch for the most part. He takes you down. He knows how to put himself in the right position to either beat you up or submit you. Um, he's absolutely relentless. He knows how to rest his body on you. So he's efficient in that process. This right. isn't this process of seeing who, who can grind better, uh, or, you know, he's just so efficient with his wrestling. He forces you to have to use things outside of your technique, which means using your physicality, your strength, your energy to try yeah. to fight him off. And he's kind of just resting on you, puts you on your back and beats you up and repeats round after round until you ultimately submit or give up or the referee comes in and saves you. And I know as an elite soccer player, you can relate to this a little bit, that his legs are almost like two more arms, the way he is subtly able to use them to trap you and trip you when you think you're fighting an underhook or dealing with the upper body, his lower body is attacking you. In modern day mixed martial arts, and certainly in the UFC, we see a lot of guys when they are about to be taken down, maybe try to use the fence to their advantage as a prop uh, to use to get back up. How is Khabib able to use the fence to his advantage to such an extent, even when Mike Brown, you know, begs Dustin Poirier to not go anywhere near the fence, ultimately finds himself, you know, back up against the fence and eventually on his back again. Two things. First, let's talk about uh, on the feet, what Poirier could have done to prevent that. Number one, 
you can't back straight up against someone like Habib Nurmagomedov. Right. Lateral movement and the ability to switch your stance is huge in mixed martial arts, and not a lot of people are utilizing it. He has to be in kind of a square stance. He can't be in a traditional fighting stance when he's backing straight up. It gives you when when you are in that kind of horse stance, like they would talk, they call it in karate, or when you're in that square stance to your opponent, you can move left or right depending on what your opponent is doing. If you're in that uh, just traditional fighting stance, one foot forward, one foot back, it's harder for you to cut an angle. Uh, it's more difficult anyway. Um, yeah. it, you're, you're not dealing with just a, a striker. You're dealing with a guy who's trying to pin you up against the cage. So that's where the, I think the main problem lies in Poirier's game and a lot of people who go against Habib. It, there's a lack of footwork understanding. There's a lack of knowledge of where you are in the octagon. It was something I had to deal with a lot uh, against guys like Gray Maynard that I, you know took me a couple times to figure out. But uh, again, it, it, it's, it's very frustrating when you find yourself up against the cage against a superior wrestler. Now, number two... Um, when, when the person has their head over your head, you cannot get up. You don't have the leverage to be able to get up when their head is lower than their sternum. Essentially, you can then push on their head and mm. get back to your feet. You have the ability to do that because most of their weight is on the mat and not on you. If the weight is on the mat, you're able to come up. If the weight is on you, you either have to find a way to get underneath them to elevate them, right? Almost like mm. a sweep. Uh, to get your body or your hips underneath their hips to raise them up and then find a way to either scramble out or sweep, right? To, to, right. to reverse yep. the position. Um, not an easy thing to do against an experienced grappler and wrestler like Habib Nurmagomedov, but that's where uh, Dustin was really struggling. Habib had right uh, had the proper head position and positioning on top of Dustin, and Dustin just could not get up. So Poirier had two moments in the fight, although in talking to Khabib on the post show on ESPN Plus after the fact, he sort of insinuated that it was really one moment. The right hand maybe looked like it hurt Khabib more than it really did. Yeah. By the way, this is a fighter who in 28 professional fights now has not so much as been knocked down. Uh, and of course, the chin held up under that one seminal blow, I guess, if you yes. want to call it, that Poirier had. But the guillotine, right? We've seen UFC featherweight. We've heard UFC featherweight contender Brian Ortega come out and say, if I had Khabib in that guillotine, I would have finished the fight. Khabib acknowledged that the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt Dustin Poirier, who has good chokes and good jiu-jitsu credentials, if not great, was close to submitting him with that guillotine. Your thoughts on that guillotine and maybe why, uh, I know without having all the angles, but why Dustin wasn't able to finish the job and maybe someone like Ortega would have been able to. Well, Habib was Habib was finishing very well. I, I think the fault of uh, did I say Habib? Uh, Dustin was doing a good job uh, of trying to finish, but Habib was doing a great job of defending. Sorry, mm -hmm. very well. He was actually kind of trying to go to his back to relieve the pressure, which right. is what you're supposed to do. Um, I think where Dustin maybe failed was utilizing an elevator hook, using uh, one of his feet to try to elevate to get back on top of Habib. If he was able to utilize it to maybe sweep to get on top and then hold on to the neck and finish it from the top position, he could have finished it. I think the way that Habib was uh, rolling out of it, it would have been difficult for Dustin to finish it on his back. If yeah. Dustin were to finish that position or Ortega, as he's saying, he would have to get on top. And I think he missed his opportunity. I think there was like two opportunities where Dustin could have kind of elevated with that foot and, yeah. and gotten on top of Habib. 
And at the very least, if even if he didn't get the submission and try to finish it on top, if right. he got on top of Habib, yeah. things would have got very interesting and it would have thrown a wrench into Habib's plans to go, wait a sec, this isn't just a guy that I could sit on top of and beat him up. He's got some sweeps. He got some submissions. Um, I think he'd be a little bit more hesitant moving forward if Dustin was able to turn that into a reversal. Hmm. Very interesting. So as far as the guillotine choke in MMA is concerned, there are a lot of people, Dan Hardy among them, who feel like it's really a low probability submission uh, nowadays, right? That most often they're attempted and they're not finished, right? Maybe it's a mechanism by which to get back to your feet. Uh, But offensively, when you go for a guillotine, the way Dustin Poirier went for it, you do pay a price when it comes to the cardio and the conditioning. All of that being said, And again, I'm an amateur, right? I'm just a fan. So I'm asking Kenny here. I sort of believe like if you're fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov, as good as his submission defense obviously proved to be this weekend, I think you really got to work on your offensive guillotine off of your back, right? Because there just aren't going to be that many opportunities to win a fight against this guy. I'm Uh, going in there and I'm going to try to have the best fucking goddamn guillotine off my back with proper hip placement and whatever the fuck else I'm supposed to be doing. And I just, I'm I'm curious if Dustin Poirier really worked that guillotine and all the different angles and layers to it over the last six or eight weeks. Listen, I, I think a great guillotine is an excellent equalizer to a good takedown, right? Now, not not just as a submission, but again, as a reversal tool, as a way to reverse someone. Anytime you're able to lower their head down below their hips, you're in a good position to try to score uh, with a sweep. So I do agree with you. I think finishing it, yes, can be problematic, but turning it into a reversing tool, to turning it into a, a, a way to sweep your opponent and get on top, I think is an excellent way to equalize uh, against a great takedown artist like a Habib Nurmagomedov. So, yeah, I mean, there's some truth to that. What Dan Hardy's saying, most people just do it wrong. And I think that's the thing. I didn't really understand the guillotine for mixed martial arts when I was fighting. It was something that I tried to avoid. Um, When I fought Sean Shirk, I was trying to wrap his head up. It just kept turning it into a takedown. I didn't understand it very well. Um, I think, you know, now I I, I get it a lot more, but I think there's a lack of understanding with that move. And I couldn't agree with you more that if you're going to work against a good wrestler and you know you can't match those wrestling skills, have a badass guillotine to either submit or work it into a reversal. All right, plenty more on Nermago Medov, of course, and his all-time status, which I think got a huge boost uh, with this domination and a unification bout that had a lot of eyeballs on it. We'll talk about the Poirier side as well. Ray Longo in about 60 seconds. First, this from mybookie.ag. If you found 100 bucks on the street, I think most of you pick it up. Maybe you keep walking. Ken Flo probably keeps going or gives us a homeless guy. But I think you pick it up, and you'd probably take the money. So if you do... Uh, keep picking winners and not betting on them, then what's the point of picking up the hundred bucks? I hear from MMA fans all the time. Oh, I swept the board. I went 10 for 13 on the, on the UFC 242 card. Well, hopefully you're making money then. That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, easy. They pay when you win. And let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. And I wouldn't be endorsing my bookie if I didn't believe they were the best. I place wagers there actively. And now is the right time to make your first deposit. Football season is underway. A lot of big MMA shows on tap over the next few months. UFC is live for the next several weeks. You can also bet on NFL and college football games live after kickoff. By the second half, maybe your bet looks like it's going to dump. You can hedge, maybe go the other way. Now, if your bankroll is not as fat as TJ DeSantis's and you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little bit and win a lot, go the parlay route, not my preferred 
way to play. I'm a straight wager guy, but if all your picks come in on a parlay, you're multiplying your winnings. And no matter how you choose to bet, no matter how you choose to attack the board, no better time than the start of the football season to get in the game to that end. We've got a special offer for our Anakin Florian podcast listeners. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. You make a $500 deposit. You're getting $1,000 with which to play. Use promo code Anakin one word Anakin to activate the offer. That's promo code Anakin Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Oh, Ray Longo. Let me what say, a- how's the best announcer in UFC history doing today? Oh, you are too kind. That is very kind of you. You know how much nah. I appreciate your texts on fight night. I'm hurting, though. I'm hurting today. You are hurting. Yeah, it stinks, man. That, that part's tough. So, that part uh, tough. So did you like that afternoon pay-per-view? That was pretty fun, huh? I, I thought it was all right. You know, I thought it was good. The change of pace. You know, I came back to the gym that night, obviously, and work because I had absolutely no life. But uh, it was good. Uh, yeah. So actually, it sounds to me like you much prefer the regular pay-per-view window. Do your shit during the day, go home and kick the feet up and watch the fights. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great way to chill out at night. And, you know, if you get together with a couple of guys and stuff, it's good. Yeah, I, I definitely like that better. So I texted you after the fight as we were going back and forth a little bit uh, that, you know, Ally Quinta's effort against Khabib Nurmagomedov continues to look better with every passing fight for this guy. We were trying to give some context to this victory, but I uh, want to get your overall thoughts on what Khabib was able to do. And, and if you were surprised that maybe the fight wasn't more competitive. Uh, I was surprised the fight was not more competitive. You know, it's, it's weird because I was surprised, but yet, you know, in hindsight, you're like, yeah, he just did what he, uh, he did. I, I just thought that, you know, look, Poirier's a great kid. Um, he, uh, he's athletic. He's on a roll, you know, mentally looked like he was in a good spot, but, uh, you know, you had time to look at this guy now and train for him. I, I just, I did expect more. And I, the, the worst thing to me, and um, who, who's the, the uh, I, I'm blanking on his name. Who, who's the guy I like that does the corner commentary that wasn't there again? Trevor Whitman. Denver. Trevor, I mean, like, he's missing a couple of big, these are some big fights between D.C. and, like, in between rounds, when when uh, Dustin Poirier goes to his corner, I can't get this guy off me. I go, man, the fight's over. Like you could see, he was already breaking. Yeah. And again, he's a great kid. It's not a knock. I'm just analyzing like what I saw, and and I said the next time this guy hits any adversity, he's got to probably check out. He's you know because he mm-hmm. again he ends up in the third round. He can't get him off him again. Like like in his head, I think it's like when is this shit gonna end? But. And again, I, people, you could hate me, whatever. I mean, I love my guys, but I got to tell you, man, you're, you're talking about you had time to train five rounds. You had to know that was going to happen in the mm-hmm. first two. You had to at least, you know, look like they, they worked on hitting the switch and a couple other things. I thought Mike Brown did a good job telling them that he said you have to hold on to the leg or whatever he said, but at least he was addressing something. Uh, and they, the other kid was trying to keep him mentally in there, but I you know, I, I got to go back to Al, man. He trained for three rounds. And if you're a fighter, you know there's a difference. And you're with it. It's not just against an ordinary guy. Khabib is now starting to really separate. And not that he's always been, but more separate himself from the pack. It's just he's phenomenal, man. He's just, you know what he's going to do. 
and you can't stop it. And that's a guy that's really fucking good. You know what I mean? Like you just know what's going to happen and you're still having problems with it. So, you know, hats off to him, man. He's a good dude. And again, that after fight speech, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. I yeah. think it shows you who Khabib really is. And you go back to the McGregor thing. You just can't poke the bear. I mean, I don't care if it's legal. Right, right. I wouldn't even find the guy. You can't do that to people. You just can't torture him and expect, you know, a guy to just sit there and take it. Like I, you know, like again, I don't care about the legalities. Any human being is going to, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta snap. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like people didn't see it. We witnessed it. You know what I mean? The guy's pushing alcohol in front of him. He's doing everything to get under this guy's skin and, you know, like in a weird way, but uh, man, what a great speech with the donation thing. And you could just, even the way he's saying, you know, why is this happening to me? Just, I always liked him. I like him even more now. Uh, Dustin Poirier, again, great kid. Obviously, he's doing a lot of great stuff, so hats off to him, too. Uh, But I did think he was going to do a little better, and I think that's probably why he's frustrated um, a little bit. But look, no no honor lost with this guy, man. He's more than everybody. Yeah, you know, in in regards to the switch, you know, you bring up a good point, Ray. I think, you know, as a coach, as a fighter, when you're relying on one te- technique to try to get it done for you, you know, if he takes it down, you just got to hit the switch. Like, and that's not the way it goes. Habib's seen the switch before. Hey. The guy's been wrestling since he was a fetus. Uh, exactly, you know what I'm saying? Exactly, so you, you got to exactly. understand the position. And also, I think, Ray, you know, for me watching, I think there was a flaw in his footwork. Just backing straight up, I think, really allowed Habib to just do whatever he wanted out there. Yeah, no, without a doubt. No, look, and again, that, what you're saying, so I'm just bringing up something that you could see they at least worked something, but right, right. when that didn't yeah. go, and he tried it twice, I think, and the other Mentally, guy was, he broke, up, right? Yeah, mentally, I think that yeah. broke him. I think they planned for that, you know, and you know how it gets in the, you know, when you're training, you're going to get it, you're going to get it, and that's why you got to be careful with that, because then it sets up, if you don't get it, you can have definitely have a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I thought he exploded on it nice, but the other guy just read it, ended up mounting him, I think, a couple of – it was – I, I don't know. I, I yeah. agree, agree with you 100%. But, you know, like, again, I, I would love to have two or three months to game plan for, for yeah. Khabib. You know what I mean? And it's right. just – that that's what I'm trying – I don't know. I mean, I know what – I'm hopping on and people probably shut the fuck up. We heard it a million times, but I do, I go back to it. Like I texted out, I go, dude, I still, I'm blown away. Like yeah. you won five rounds with this guy. You weren't breaking. Well, that's let's go like beat Dan Hooker. Fun. Then let's go beat Dan Hooker. That's in Australia. Yeah, then. we got to get, that's right. We got to concentrate on that fight. I mean, and, let's uh, focus on the present, right? We got to, we got to, <laughs> right. no, no, and that's not, and I'll tell you what, that's not an easy fight. No, of Hooker's course. Tough as nails. So, uh, you know, we're flying, you know, 50 hours to get there. It's going to be, uh, it's a, that, that alone makes it but interesting, but, it uh, is, but it he's is, looking great. And I, I expect a really good fight. So, but it, it's quite, stuff. it's quite a mental win though. When you see all these high level fighters that are getting finished by someone like Habib Nurmagomedov and your guy went five hard rounds and took the fight on like 24 hours notice, that's yeah. not too shabby. So, uh, you know, again, that's not too shabby. That, I don't, as, a, I don't as a fighter, you will take that mental win. You know, I think that's a yeah. little win that's going to drive you, propel you forward. But, Ray, you know, as, in regards to uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, I get the feeling that this guy's going to get to 30, you know, and he's going to retire. He's got two more fights. Uh, I, I think, in my opinion, 
and and then he's done. What, what do you think Habib's going to do? He's made a lot of money o- over the course of his career the last couple of years. Well, well, I think they reported he made six million, and uh, he looks like he lives kind of spartan to me. So I'm sure right. he's yeah. <laughs> he's in good shape. And I think again, I think this is a guy with his priorities intact. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we see him, you know, smacking a strip or at the strip club next week. I don't think it's going to happen, but, uh, I think this guy has his priorities and if he retires undefeated, I think that will be phenomenal because to, to have the presence of mind to go out on top of your game like that, that's a huge statement because you know, guys just can't stop. And then they go too long and it kind of starts to tarnish everything. You know, I think what kind of seen it with BJ and again, love BJ Penn, but I mean, this was a kid that fought anybody, anytime, any place, any weight. Uh, I kind of think if he could have went out on top, he would have been, you know, like it would have just right. been way better for him. So that's a hard thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. It's, you know, you don't want to see in any sport, you know what I mean? You don't want to see it, you know, and you and we see it over and over again. You don't want to remember guys like that. I don't either. Anyway. So I think if he does that, man, it's phenomenal. Yeah. How awesome would that be? If he walked away unblemished at 30 and oh, no random DQs or no contests or anything like that. Uh, it has certainly right, been right. amazing yeah. to watch him get to this point in time. Yeah. I just want to quickly, before we let you fly, go back to the, the mental breakdown of Dustin Poirier, right? Because I think you brought up an excellent point and I think we all could acknowledge what we saw on the stool that he was visibly frustrated to the point of maybe being mentally taken out of the fight. I want to just bring it up again because physically this guy is almost impossible to break, at least on the feet, Ray. Like we've seen him in fights, tough fights, obviously yeah. with Justin Gaethje just beating up his lower body. You know, he tore his quad in the Gaethje fight. He said he's never experienced pain, has Poirier uh, like he felt in the Jim Miller fight with all of those kicks, right? Had to dig deep in the right. Max Holloway fight, certainly, when Holloway started coming on late in the fight. But in this fight, all of those qualities, intangibly, heart, things like that, um, I don't know. Khabib really has a way of uh, just taking even the best fighters in the world completely out of their realm and their game. Yeah, look, it's all where you're comfortable. On the feet, you know, there's guys you could hit them in the head with a bat. You could do whatever you want. You get them on the footage. It's a different, it's a different thing. And I think Kenny, you'll, you know, you could speak more about this than, than I can, but I mean, being on the ground, getting more like that is really, really demoralizing. You know, when you're taking shots and you're giving them back, it's, 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 I don't want, it's kind of fun. You know, if that's your, like, you know, Al Al loves that, you know, he'll he'll stick his head out, let him hit you. He don't care. Um, And luckily he had the wrestling chops to, to survive down there and just be mentally strong to just, you know, get it back to his feet and then keep going. But it's a different thing when you're getting mauled on the floor and you can't get a guy off. It's very frustrating. And, uh, you know, this guy's a high level grappler. He's got a great gas. tank. It starts to break. You. He would have, he wouldn't have broke on his feet. I can guarantee you that if it's yeah. good standing up, but, but on the ground, it's a different story. All right, last thing, you're two fights over 500 for the year. The main event coming up this weekend is Donald Cerrone and Justin Gaethje. Gaethje, about a two-to-one favorite. We polled the Anakin Florian podcast listeners today. 54% of them believe that Gaethje will get the finish in this fight. Uh, your thoughts on Gaethje Cerrone coming up here Saturday night? Damn, I didn't even think about this fight. You want to um, pass? You can pass. Yeah. 
I don't know what Cerrone. Cerrone's just fighting too frequently. How does uh Well right, he looked great against your guy and then essentially gave it yeah. back against Tony Ferguson a month later. And then now he's coming back even quick. I don't know. I okay. I think the uh, odds are in uh Gaethje's favor. All right, my man. Well uh I'll go with Gaethje. Wait, one more thing. I just wanna I, yeah. I want you to clarify something because I you know, you 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 were phenomenal. Thank but you. that interview uh, Kenny, can you help me with this? The interview with Jojo Calderwood. Right. Was I, what, was I, what was I listening to? Like, were you, something was going on there. She was hurt, but not the good hot. And then she was, <laughs> yeah, kinda, was... then she was kind of winking at you, and you were getting a little nervous. <laughs> <about nothing. laughs> oh, I'm hot, but not that hot like when yeah. I was with you. Not the good. What was going on there? Is I mean, no, that, that... Can, li- can you explain to the listeners what we were looking at there? Anakin well, is, will drop more women than anyone out there. I mean, I'm well, telling you. Let me tell you something. Looks he busted that poor girl so bad. She didn't, she, I didn't know what was going on, Kenny. Oh, I'm it's, hot. It's, I'm it's, not that it's, hot. And I'm not the good hot. I'm like hot from the way. I mean, I'm like, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, John, you got to stop. You can't do this to these women. Yeah. Well, when you're to the Anakin thing. <laughs> this, yeah. this power that you have over women. It's just yeah. absolutely amazing to it's, me. It's know, a, what I issue what my I whole had. life, yeah. <laughs> You're crazy, man. I think we all had heat stroke. And by the way, I believe her significant other, her, her boyfriend, is her head coach, John Wood, standing right there. So I'm not giving Joe Joe the totally, You could totally take him, dude. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, on the feet maybe, but certainly not on the mat. <laughs> you got John. Listen, John. Remember, you got an army behind you. That's what you have to realize. <laughs> you have an army behind you. Nobody's touching John Anik. Right. Are you kidding? He's well, a made you. man. He's I a made man. We got him. Appreciate it. hundred percent. Yeah. He's right. But first of all, now that I know his father grew up in Seaford, he's a Seaford. Long Island guy to me. I don't even. That's yeah. Boston <laughs> thing. I don't even buy anymore. The guy's from Long Island. I had this discussion with Al. I can't believe this. He he rushed over the fact. That his roots are in Seaford, Long Island. Oh, God. I got to talk to your father about this. I really. I don't even talk to my father, so that's going to be pretty tough. But no, Uh, I am. Don't don't ever call me a Long Islander, especially four weeks, five weeks before we're going to TD Garden in Boston. Your your blood, John. I got New York blood. Your blood is in Seaford, Long Island. That's it. I got New York blood. Well, because I just came to the realization literally last week that I have a lot of New York, you know, lineage and New York blood running through me. It's a hard realization, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, Joe hey. went out on top. Remember that. Joe hey, uh, went out on top. Hey, your boy Aljo is supposed to join us here uh, two minutes ago. I hope he doesn't flake today, but I'm excited to talk to your guy. I've been spending so much time with Henry Cejudo. I need a little Aljo fix, you know? Let's do Get Aljo in there, baby. Get All the right, funk there. Put a little funk in this podcast. Yeah, we get a little funk in it. All right, well, thanks for bringing it out as always, buddy. We'll talk to you next Monday. All right, guys. Take it easy. See you, right. Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. All right, well, now with us on the guest line, as promised, the number two ranked bantamweight in the world. But for all intents and purposes, he is the top contender at 135 pounds, the funk master, Aljamain Sterling. Aljo, appreciate the time, buddy. How are you this morning? Doing good. Already up and after it. Got a great wrestling workout in this morning, the, the Monday morning grind. So you got your own podcast now, right? Yes, I do. The weekly scraps. So, uh, so you've been, what, you've been doing it like six months or so or longer? Uh, I think roughly, yeah, roughly six months, actually. I think the first episode I did was after I Quinta fought Kevin Lee 
in uh, Wisconsin. Okay. So, you know, it took me a while to get Ken Flo to sign on the dotted line for this podcast because I said to him, you know, once we do it, we kind of got to do it every week. I mean, your show's called The Weekly <laughs> Scrap, so I guess you got no choice but to be weekly, right? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's tougher than I thought it was going to be at first. And then, um, you know, I, I still enjoy it because, you know, I was doing a lot of Twitter breakdowns and recapping fights and stuff like that, giving my input, and people were just asking me to do a podcast. And uh, eventually I kind of had someone help me set it up and still running with it. It's great, too, because you get those repetitions and you get used to talking all the time. And then if you yep. if you audition for TV or something, you know, you can lean on, on those skills that you're just developing along the way. So, all right, before we sort of spin this forward and everything that you've done of late, I want to go back to two and a half years ago, January 2017. You've just lost your second straight split decision in the UFC. So you could be 14 and 0. Instead, you're 12 and 2. Now, we know you've won six of seven since we're going to get to that. But do you remember where your head was at? early 2017 right after that a sun south fight yeah for sure it was a it was a relative relatively dark moment for me i think anytime you lose two in a row you always consider your next fight if you lose again that is probably your walking papers your pink slip as they call it and uh being casted outside of the ufc and um you know being on your high horse and having such a crazy run being four and oh three finishes in a row and then losing two in a row like that, that were just razor close fights that could have arguably went the other way. Um, pending another judge, I think it, it leaves a, a bad taste in your mouth. And um, I wasn't sure what it was. I wasn't sure if it, maybe it was my style. I wasn't sure if um, the coaching, I wasn't sure if it was my training, the things I was doing outside of um, the, the camps and stuff like that. And then ultimately I, I brought it back to center and I try to keep things in perspective and, and look at things for what they were. And, um, you know, I broke down both fights, why I lost and kind of just reinvented myself. And I think it helped me elevate my game to a new level and uh, allowed me to start trusting my offense a little bit more like I do in the training room and start to really do the, some of the things that I was doing in the room. And I started to do it under the bright lights in the octagon. So, Aljo, is it those two losses that really have have driven you and kind of caused some changes in the way that you approach fights? Is, is, is that are those the two fights that were responsible for that? Those those were the beginning. Those I would say they were the catalyst for sure. If mm-hmm. you look at my fight with Jaquino Mendez, there was a lot of more stand up in that, uh, a lot of utilizing the jab like I do in training, um, attacking the body, throwing more combinations with the hands, not just kicking all the time. And then Burrell, I think um, I put on a striking clinic outside of the, the one takedown that I was able to get. Um, and me being on my back, I was able to show that I can still work off my back. And then, obviously, we have the one with Mariah. That, I think that's every fighter's biggest concern is, is getting knocked out on, on national TV, or should I say international TV. And um, mm-hmm. I think that one was the, the other... The, the next one that was like the straw that broke the camel's back after that, it was just like all bets are off. We're just going to... You know, I, I came in there a little too overconfident and, um, you know, I was, I was riding the wave. I just beat Henry Burrell, former champion who only lost to TJ Dillashaw and uh, Jeremy Stevens up a weight class. And he did good. He lost 29, 28. So I felt like right. I was the man, you know, and um, sure enough, I got brought, brought, kicked off my high horse, literally <laughs> um, uh-huh. by Marlon Marais. And, you know, just the lack of respect I had for him going into that, you know, not really taking the fight that serious, thinking that I was just going to walk through the the park. And, um, I just didn't feel like I was fighting. And then once, once that happened, it kind of 
once again reinvented myself once once more and I realized like anytime I did good is when I felt like I was fighting for my life and that's kind of how I approach every single fight ever since then it's just me or you and uh, I think just having that extra set of nerves in the back of your mind really help you fire on all cylinders and keep the your senses just a lot more sharper than um when you're kind of lax and kind of just going through the motions a little bit Aljo, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I, I, but I think there's a balance, right? Because I've also seen, yes, you're kind of kicking it up as far as your intensity and your awareness, but there's a relaxation in Aljamain Sterling now where you're going out and really being yourself. You're showing that funk style. You do a lot of unorthodox stuff, but you're staying true to kind of who you are at the same time. Um, h- how was that process, you know, cause everyone always said, dude, Aljo in the gym, you got to see him. He, he hasn't fulfilled his potential yet, but when he pulls it all together, this guy's going to do big things and you are doing big things. What is the reason for that? I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to say exactly what it is. I, I, I do believe in my, my coaching, my abilities. Um, I mean, just the years of wrestling and the amount of matches that I had, you know, I kind of got to this point before with wrestling, going to the national tournament twice and coming up short, taking fourth as a junior, then sixth as a senior, losing to two Division One transfers. And I always had it in my head that D1 guys were better than just better than us. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized when I was, when I lost those matches and I lost them both by a point, I realized, dude, these guys are another human being. They bleed just like we bleed. They get hurt just like we get hurt. They shoot the same shots we shoot. It's just who's more confident and who's going to implement their game plan more. And I think that has transferred over of late into my game. And I, I, I do respect a lot of these guys when I go in there and I, I, and I, I make sure I keep those nerves sharp. And I think it helps me with my awareness in there. But at the same time, I go in there with an attitude that I'm just better. And just, there's no one in there in this division who could fuck with me on any type of level, in my personal opinion. And um, I mean, everyone's got to, you got to feel like that. If you don't feel like you're the man going in there, and not in a cocky way, just like you put in the time and truly believe in that you put in the work. I think good things won't, won't I don't think good things will happen. And I, I think when you go out there with that mindset, that mentality, I think um, the fight is yours to lose. And uh, I think that's, that's really what's been of late for me. And uh, I, I love it, man. I, I feel like I'm, I got this momentum and I got this confidence and I, I trust my skill set and my coaches. I, I don't think there's a man out there right now in this division that could beat me. You certainly look like the best band weight in the world to me when you fought Pedro Munoz the last time out. I'm not just saying that because you're here. I've said it on past shows. He is UFC Bantamweight contender Aljamain Sterling giving us a few minutes here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So the win over Pedro was your fourth in a row. So I've said this to, to Ray privately. You know, if I was him or Matt Serra or your manager, I'd probably be advising you to wait for a title shot. But a, a three-parted question here. How long are you willing to wait for Henry Cejudo? Um, does a Marlon Marais fight appeal to you in a rematch or maybe a fight with Dominic Cruz as one of the bigger names in the division? And does a UFC main event slot appeal to you? You know, getting the experience of a five-round fight against somebody like Dom or Marlon, um, even if it wasn't a title opportunity. Like, what is your mindset at right now? Where is it at um, when it comes to all the million different things I just threw your way? It's, it's a lot to take in, you know. I, uh, I try to approach this from a, a business standpoint and looking at my career. I mean, I've said it over and over again that, you know, I don't plan on staying in this game longer than I have to. Um, right. I ultimately set my, my window of fighting to be closed at 32, pending, you know, everything goes my way in terms of winning the bell, maybe defending it 
a couple of times and then just walking away with my health intact. Um, that's super important to me, making sure I get more out of the sport than this sport takes from me. Um, and I didn't think that just comes with maturity and understanding like you in the, you stay in the game long enough chasing something that might not ever happen. Uh, it, it would end up taking more from you than you might want the game to take from you. But um, in terms of these other things, I, I, I'm interested in finding the best of the best. I'm not, I'm not a Henry Sayudo who's talking about being an intergender champion. And, and there's no knock on Henry whatsoever. I, I know what he's doing. I right. understand what he's doing. He's good in his name. You know, he was saying that he's not going to fight until the UFC pays him his worth. I understand it 100%. At the end of the day, he's got something that I have yet to do and has become a UFC world champion and doing it in two different weight classes. Super impressive. And did you know he has a gold medal? But, um, right, right. Just, just, just those things alone, you know, I, I respect the guy. But at the same time, I, I, I came into sports to fight against the best guys that people think are the best. Because I want to be, at the end of the day, I want to be one of those guys people remember in this bantamweight division for, for the rest of history. I, I want my name, when I'm, I'm all said and done, when I retire, when I pass away, I want to leave my mark, some type of historic mark and some type of historic dent in the sport that I can be remembered by. And, um, you know, I've always been, a, I've pretty much been an athlete my entire life, but I didn't really compete, like, organize until my sophomore year in high school and in college. And it's been something that has defined me for a long time, you know, um, you know, I just don't want to fall into that thing like this is all I'm able to do with my life. But at the same time, I want to make sure I get my fair shake out of this. Uh, I would love to fight Dominic Cruz. I just feel like him just getting out of bed, he might roll over and, and pull out of a fight by hurting his knee, coming out of bed or something. I, right, I, right. I don't know what that guy's deal is. I, I, it's really confusing to see. I understand he's a big name. I get it. You are the first champion in the division to hold the belt. I get it. But at the same time, your work has not spoken for itself in a very long time, in three years right. to be exact. And to think that because you are a big name that you should get the billing over anybody else makes no sense. You got slapped around by Cody Garbrandt, who's lost three in a row. And I still believe Cody Garbrandt is a top-tier talent. I think he just caught, he kind of gets a little emotional out there, and uh, he could be his own worst enemy and do himself in. But like I said, he has to, he has to beat one of these young, hungry lions yeah. to reestablish himself as being a top contender. 2016 was a long time ago. Of course. And uh, I think fans only remember him getting schooled. So if you're going to try to say all these other things, it's irrelevant. Father time has passed. And uh, it, it, with the fans, I think everyone knows it. It's what have you done for me lately? And that's right. kind of where I'm at. So I would love to fight Dominic Cruz. I only called the guy out three out of my last four fights. I, my last fight, I stopped calling him out because – Right. The guy, he pretends he doesn't hear me, you know? So yeah. he's going to pretend you don't hear me. It's only so much I could keep trying to poke the bear to get a fight. Like I said, he's one of the best in the world. I want to fight the best in the world. If it's going to be a main event slot with title contention, I'll gladly sign on the dollar line and take the fight. If it's going to yeah. be Frankie Edgar, I'll gladly sign on the line yeah. and take the fight. If I love it. Be, whoever's going to be, I'll, I'll take the fight. The only person that I don't think makes a ton of sense right now is Marlon Marais. Had he had won the belt, I would have been gunning for that. Of course. Like there was no tomorrow. But um, I know it's no. weird, man. It's, it's weird. I agree. I agree it's with everything you said. And, and you know, obviously, Dominic Cruz is a close friend of mine and a broadcast partner. And we have a good personal relationship as well, obviously. But I wanted to talk yeah. to you today because I think you're sort of in a, in a weird situation because you essentially won a title eliminator against Pedro Munoz the night Henry won the belt. So you put the body of work on paper to get a shot at Henry Cejudo right now, but his shoulder surgery and the severity of that injury, I think just 
sort of complicates things a little bit in terms of the timeline. So I sort of think, well, hey, if Aljo doesn't want to sit out for 10 months, at least give him a main event, give him the platform that comes with a main event, make it a clear title eliminator, and maybe that would pacify you and allow you to not have to sit and wait for Henry until March or April of 2020, you know? Yeah, I, it's crazy to me that I keep getting, I don't know if I'm being slighted or they're using the prelim headliner title quotes um, as a way to make it sound more compelling for the fans or the, or the competitors. I really don't understand it. I've been on the main car one time and albeit it was wow. the worst fight of my life in terms of uh, probably the shortest fight of my life in terms of losing to uh, Marlon Marais like that. Um, I haven't had another crack to show what I can do. And the one time they should have put Jimmy and I on the main, uh, yeah, Jimmy Rivera That's and I right. on the main car, they didn't. We got slighted. And uh, when they put Jimmy Rivera and Dobson over myself and Cody Stamen, uh, we put on a better performance than them. Those guys shit the bed. And then when you put uh, Peter Yan versus Jimmy Rivera over myself and Pedro Munoz, who bring nothing but action, I, I just don't get it. Like, what else do I have to do to, to earn my spot, which I think I put in a ton of time for? It's not like I'm, I'm asking for something I don't think I deserve. I, I think I've worked for it. I think I earned it. It's it's a different thing than you don't always get what you deserve, but I think I've earned it and put in the time. And whether or not I, I get that crack, that's completely up to them. I've yeah. got lingering injuries that I've been wanting to take care of, uh, torn ligaments in my wrist for about two years now, and I've just been pushing the, the envelope of how far I can go with this. And if, I, if I'm not going to get a fight sooner rather than later, then I'm, I'm just going to go into the night and just take care of myself and get ready for uh, a great 2020. So that's 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 my plan right now. So right now we're just um, if they can make this fight happen at MSG, then well, I'm, I'm all for it. We'll we'll push one more time and hopefully it's a, it's another good night. Well, I know there are sort of frustrations that come with success, but it's all good things, man. It's all in front of you. You're a young man and. Uh, Again, you know, for my money, you're the number one Bantamweight contender, and hopefully the title shot comes your way next. Before we let you go, we got about 60 seconds. You know, I think skill for skill, combination wrestling, grappling, you're probably the best guy at 135 pounds. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on Khabib Nurmagomedov and, and some of the nuances to what he does and, and the degree to which you were impressed with uh, the way he disposed of Poirier over the weekend. Man, he is such a, a phenomenal talent. When he gets in that clinch position, he gets guys against the cage and he presses in with his shoulder pressure. And I think that's what guys aren't realizing. When he's pressing in so hard, he's not really squeezing and utilizing a ton of energy. He's making the guys work and yep. carry his weight against the fence. No matter which direction they go, he's following their, their every step, matching them step for step. And then once he gets his hands locked, that's pretty much it. He gets what we call, when I whenever I teach the MMA class at, at our gym, I always emphasize head over head, making it super difficult for the guy on bottom to get up. All you have to do is sag your weight and just become like a wet blanket and make your opponent exhaust himself trying to do constant squats, trying to scoot, trying to shrimp, trying to cage walk. You pull out the wrist, you flatten them out again. You do take the, you put the hooks in, they take the hooks out. You put them back again. You change the direction of his head. You tie up his wrist. It's, it's a beautiful work of art. And, um, I, I don't think anyone's really figured out the answer for it. I think Poirier was starting to do the right things when he was starting to use some knees to the body when he was controlling the far wrist. So if, if, if uh, Khabib was facing um, Poirier's right hip and using his right hand around the leg, Khabib was having his left wrist trapped by Poirier and he was throwing knees to the body. That's the best way to try to slow him down. And you have to hurt a guy like that for his efforts 
before he drains you and then you have no power left in the battery. And that's the best way I can yeah. explain it. Yeah. And it's, it's easier said than done. But uh, I think um, he's going to be a very, very tough guy to beat for anybody, even a Tony Ferguson who may do well fighting him. But I think the only way Tony does great is if he, can, if he gets taken down in the center of the cage and not against the cage where Khabib does his best work. Yeah, man. Habib with you up against the fence. That's the scariest place in MMA. I think he's the safest bet in pro sports right now. Uh, Aljamain Sterling, gracious of you to give us 20 minutes or so today, my man. Wish you all the best getting healthy, getting the fights that you desire. And you've certainly uh, put forth a great effort over the last couple of years. And uh, we wish you all the best, man. Hopefully that belt's coming your way in the not-too-distant future, buddy. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. There he is, UFC Bantamweight contender Aljamain Sterling. Ray Longo's guy. That's not the reason we had him on, though, I can assure you. All right, UFC Vancouver picks coming up here shortly, Kenny, but I want to get your thoughts quickly on the Poirier side of things and time permitting on the co-main event between Paul Felder and Edson Barboza. I know you've outlined some of the things that Dustin did wrong in the Mm -hmm. fight, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that his maybe ultimate frustration might be that he's just not sure he's going to be able to close that gap with, with the right work, right? Like when you feel like you've put in all the right work with all the right preparation, all the right training partners, and the gap is still that wide. I just think it has to be massively disappointing, you know, for him. Like I, and I, you know, I mean, for him to start talking about retirement, I think part of it's like, man, if this was my effort, if this was the way, when I finally got my undisputed title shot, 23 UFC fights in, if there's going to be this type of gap, then, you know, I don't want to stick around to be second best. And unfortunately, I guess for him, Khabib's the guy who's the champ right now. Absolutely. And listen, I've been there. I've, it's happened to me three times. I've climbed that mountain three times and I've fallen down. It is heartbreaking. It is very difficult. Um, but what makes you a fighter is your ability to try to climb back up. Um, I know that, uh, Dustin's been doing this for a very long time. He's been fighting and training since he was a teenager. Um, and the fact that he was even able to get this shot, I I think is a, uh, an incredible achievement. Um, you know, in regards to training hard and all that stuff, yes, you got to train hard, but you got to train smart as well. And you can't just do what everyone else is doing. Um, you know, uh, I think that there's, there's smarter approaches out there. Um, you know, I think Dustin's one of those guys who has a tremendous amount of potential, a tremendous amount of heart. Um, I, I think he's got a lot of great coaches around him. There's no doubt about it, but, um, you know, I think going out there and, and, and seeking out, um, you know, maybe other jiu-jitsu guys or other striking coaches or other wrestling coaches just to, to help you doesn't mean you're going to train with them forever, but to getting a different perspective or a different approach, um, you know, I, I think what can, can always help. Um, and you know, I, I still think Dustin can get back to the top. He's still, um, he still has plenty of time, plenty of years, uh, to get back up there, but, uh, hopefully he's made a lot of money over the, over the course of his career. He's achieved amazing things in this sport. Um, I still think he has the ability to get back to a championship run and, um, you know, people love that guy. He's such, he's so oh, yeah. great. He's so great for the sport as far as his attitude, uh, his respect, uh, his professionalism, all that stuff makes Dustin uh, a star, in my opinion. And uh, I wish him the best, man. And there aren't that many of those shiny new UFC belts in existence. And last time I checked, there's one at his house. And as he told us on Thursday, he beat a world champion 
to get it. So to me, there's nothing hollow about his interim championship when he ended a 13 fight winning streak for Max Holloway. Granted, it was up a weight class for Max, but I know it's not the belt and the title that, that Dustin desired, but uh, it'll have to do at least for now. And I really wish we could do 30 minutes on Khabib Nurmagomedov right now and how good he is for the sport and what this win does for his all time status. But in the nature of time, uh, I want to quickly talk about Paul Felder and Edson Barboza. Biggest win of Paul Felder's career split decision. But it was the 30 to 27s on both sides that just leave people with not a great taste in their mouth. I think probably 70 percent of the fans I've heard from thought that Edson Barboza won rounds one and two and that Paul Felder won that third round. I think a 30 27 either way is just crazy to me. Obviously, it was a great fight. It's big for Paul in terms of spinning his career forward. Uh, Your thoughts on Barboza Felder act two and ultimately the scorecards, if you would, good sir. Uh, the Heat didn't only get to John Anik out there. I think they Dumb. got to the judges as well, my friend. Yeah. I don't think they were thinking properly out there. Yeah. Um, some interesting decisions all night. Um, I thought Andrea Lee probably pulled off the win against Calderwood as well. But this was one of those ways. I, I, I saw the fight the exact same way as Andre, uh, Andrea Lee and uh, Joanne Calderwood. I saw the first two for Lee. I saw the first two for Barbosa. I saw yeah. the third round for Calderwood. I saw the third round uh, for Paul Felder here. Um, these weren't, I wouldn't call them robberies, but I thought it was a pretty definitive win. Uh, 29-28, I thought it would be here. Uh, the fact that they had it 30-27 for either guy uh, is just ridiculous. Um, and I think they had it the same for, for Calderwood. Didn't one judge have it 30-27 for Calderwood? Am I wrong yeah, about so, that? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. One of the two judges who scored that fight for JoJo had it 30-27, to 27, uh, which is again, insane. I, I have no fucking clue how they were able to do it. I excuse my language, but I just, to me, it's heartbreaking because I know how hard these fighters work and to go out there and have what I believe an incompetent judge, uh, you know, deciding your fate out there yeah. is horrible. It's horrible. And I know it's not their intention. They're being, I don't think they're being biased. I don't think they're, I just don't right. think they're good at their job. Some of them, I, I, sorry. I just think that's, that's the fact. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what they're watching. I don't know exactly what they're trying to determine is who's winning the round, but, um, I don't know. It's just plain wrong. I, I, I don't get how they're calling it. Um, I yeah. did think Barbosa won. I did think Andrea Lee won. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it a robbery again for either yeah. of those, but I thought it was pretty clear the way that most people call mixed martial arts fights, most professional judges call fights. Yeah. Those should be wins for those guys. Right. Simple as that. Yeah. I know Barbosa's camp said that they will protest, but that is going to fall on deaf ears and not do yeah. anything. I fucking exactly. love when you fucking swear, by the way. Especially when we have new sponsors. Uh, all right. I just want to shout out a few other guys, but we're not going to be able to talk about these fights. Curtis Blades, man, when he starts adding some Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some submission offense, Oof. I think there's a chance he's a future UFC heavyweight champion. I really, really believe that. Carlos Diego Fajeda, performance of a career in cooling off Meyerbeck Taisumov. Congrats to Safe Saud Fortis MMA. Huge win for Diego Fajeda and a couple great knockouts. Otman Azaitar, Muslim Salakop, Bilal Muhammad with a big win and a bonus. Great show at UFC 242. Really excited to go back. You know, not that I had trepidation going to Abu Dhabi, but it's far, it's hot. We have international broadcasting conditions that maybe aren't ideal, but we had a great show and a great trip, and I really look forward to seeing how that relationship sort of develops and evolves over the next five years with a UFC title fight going to Abu Dhabi for the next four years, uh, 2020 through 2022 or whatever it is. All right. UFC Vancouver picks coming up here shortly. First though, 
Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, there's a solution that is about as uninvasive as it gets. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. And I think what really appeals to me is that you can connect with this professional counselor, your professional counselor, in a safe and private online setting. A lot of convenience that comes with that. It's done on your own time, at your own pace, secure video or phone sessions. You can also chat and text with your therapist as well. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, anger, anxiety, sleep issues, relationships, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, Many more categories as well. Anything you share, 100% confidential. They've got 3,000 licensed therapists available worldwide. And, of course, if you're not happy with your counselor, you can change. You can do that at any time at no additional charge. Financial aid also available for those who qualify as well. And that's really the best part of this. Truly affordable. Plus, Anakin and Florian podcast listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code AF. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash AF. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you will love. That's betterhelp.com slash AF. All right, pronunciation of the week. TJ DeSantis, 6 and 10 on the year. Big miss on Islam Mahashev last week. This week, big name light heavyweight. This shouldn't be too bad. He previously fought wait, John wait, Jones wait, wait, wait. for the title. I think I got it right last week. What are you doing? I think I All thought right. we settled we got it right. All right, seven and nine. I apologize. Yes, yes. It wasn't great, but you're right. I stand corrected. Seven and nine. And this week, it's a guy who fought John Jones for the belt. This should be easy, right? He fights out of Danbury, Connecticut. He'll face Nikita Krilov in the co main event this weekend. TJ DeSantis, of whom am I speaking? Glover Teixeira. All right, let's hear him. Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira. TJ, I really apologize. You know, my twin brother and everybody else has stopped banging on TJ. You're eight and nine on the year, back within one of 500. I will never call you six and 10 again. All right. Time permitting some more UFC 242 stuff on the back end, but we cannot make Ian Parker wait any longer. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The Main Event Challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, so Team Anik led Team Florian 108-105 going into UFC 242. Not a great week on either side. Both went 500, picking winners 3-3, three and three, but by virtue of the Flow's underdog selection on Diego Fajeda. Team Florian wins the week 4-3, shaves the lead down to 2. Just keep fucking plucking away. 111, 109 going into UFC Fight Night. Cowboy versus Gaethje. Wall to wall on ESPN Plus this weekend. Ian Parker now joins us live and let us get right to it. First fight, 205 pounds. The undefeated 23-year-old Jimmy Crute. Slightest of favorites, minus 125 against Misha Serkunov, who is the minus 105 underdog, at least for our purposes. IP, good to talk to you again, my man. Who do you have here? First off, kudos to you for doing the show today after uh, that travel. Oh, thank you, God. You're the fucking man. You know, you're a legend, bro. Um, all right, Jimmy Crude versus Misha Serkinov. Here, here's the interesting part about this fight. You know, Serkinov's got a lot on his plate with his personal stuff that everyone knows about. My heart goes out to him. That last fight against Johnny Walker, brutal knockout. You know, you got a guy, Jimmy Crude, who's starting to rise up the ranks a little bit as a developing prospect in the contender series. I just think he's more well-rounded here. You know, Serkinov is extremely dangerous on the ground. We all know that. But Crute's going to have a very, very, very big advantage on the feet. I think he's good enough to keep the fight standing. If he can knock out Sam Alby, I don't seem to have a problem dropping Serkinov. Serkinov's hands have not evolved. 
Um, if Cruz does want to take this to the ground, I think as long as he's on top, he will be okay. I think his cardio is better. And I just like this guy. You know, he's a good up-and-comer. He's exciting and fun to watch. It sucks that uh, Misha Serkinov is becoming more of a gatekeeper, but I'm going to go with the, uh, the young guy here. I'm going with Jimmy Cruz. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And if you do like Jimmy Crute, the price is pretty short right now. He is 10 and 0. Sirkunov on the other side, Ken Flo, really needs a win. Started his UFC career, guns blazing, 4 and 0 with four finishes. Now he's been stopped or submitted in three of his last four. The last coming against Johnny Walker, 38 seconds in back in March. What do you think, Flo? Sirkunov and Crute coming up on the main card opener this weekend. You know, Sirkunov can get. Um very hesitant to start a fight. I think that's when he's most vulnerable. Um, and sometimes he gets caught between um, trying to be a grappler or trying to be a striker. It's either one or the other. Uh, so to me, that shows that he's not so comfortable with his mixed martial arts game as of right now. It does take some time. Um, I do think he's going to have a, a massive speed disadvantage here against Jimmy Crute, uh, who's trained by a legendary K1 kickboxer, Sam Greco. Uh, so, I, And Jimmy's not too bad on the ground either. I don't think that's where he wants to be necessarily against someone like Misha Sirkinov, but uh, he does have the capability to get back to his feet and defend himself on the ground. I think Jimmy's going to have a big advantage on the feet. I think he gets a TKO. Uh, dur during this fight, maybe early. And I guarantee that the conviction from both of you is going to move that betting line before Saturday night. At heavyweight, guys, Stipe's strong style teammate Jeff Hughes, the narrow minus 120 favorite against the returning Todd Duffy, who is minus 110, so an underdog here on the main event challenge. Duffy back for the first time since he was finished by Frank Mirflow in that main event that we called in 2015. Yes. So first it was a shoulder injury for Duffy, then surgery on both knees, knees, including an ACL in one of them, got a staph infection during the recovery. So he's in Vegas working closely with the UFC PI. We will see what he has this weekend against Jeff Hughes, who just got married two days ago, if I'm not mistaken, Ian Parker. I don't that doesn't sound ideal to me. Uh, your thoughts on Hughes and Duffy in the heavyweight division. Uh, on a betting standpoint, I couldn't be so far away from touching this fight. It's not even yeah. funny. Um, yeah. You know, Jeff Hughes uh, losing to uh, Mo Green and Todd Duffy hasn't fought since, what, 2015, 16. It, it, it's a really hard uh, situation here because you, you really are going to have a striking battle. And you would think that Duffy, who should have better boxing, usually the larger, more powerful guy, but, but we've seen his chin just fail him time and time again. I don't know if the time off has really you know, done anything for him. Some, you know, I know Dominic Cruz is not the biggest uh, believer in ring rust, but not everyone is a legend like Dominic Cruz. And I can't say that Duffy is anywhere near a Dom Cruz type of situation. Clearly. Um, if I had to flip a coin here and pick, I'm going to go with the more active fighter, uh, getting married. He's in the honeymoon phase. So he's still happily married at the moment. Yeah, so we're going to take, uh, I'm, I'm going to try and spin that towards the positive there. I'm going to go I with like Jeff that. Hughes right now. Just thank you. Based on the activity, um, I do like his style, and I don't think he's going to get himself in a situation with Duffy. I think Duffy either finishes him quick or he's going to lose quick. I just don't trust Duffy being out for so long. And based on the show's uh, challenge, I'm going to go with Jeff Hughes. Only a heavyweight could get married and then go right into fight week. Jeff Hughes, Kenny coming off a split decision loss to Maurice Green. That was in Wichita, Kansas back in March. He is favored slightly here over Todd Duffy. What do you think about this one? Uh, listen, I think Ian uh, pretty much said it all. Uh, both of these guys, you know, it's hard to depend on for for a quality result here. I, yeah. I do think that Duffy 
um, is a little bit more skilled. I, I think his, his physical skills are more impressive to me. Uh, what has he been doing with all this time off? I don't know. You mentioned him dealing with a lot of injuries. He's had a lot of bad luck over the course of his career. Um, but I have to imagine if he's ready to go get back into the UFC and he's uh, taking this fight that he should be uh, in good shape, I think. Um who knows? I'm going with Duffy, though. I'll go the other way. Hopefully he, he pulls it off and gives me that extra point. Yeah, as a dog. I mean, that power, right? That power is still there. You know, and I speed. mean, and, and the, speed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's that, dude. I'm telling you, man, all of a sudden, Todd Duffy knocks out Jeff Hughes in 30 seconds. And we're talking about Todd Duffy being in the top 15 next week. You'll see. Right. You know, maybe he fights Greg. Hardy John, I think right. I think I think the uh, I think the real question is over under how many times Kenny and I catch you this week changing up our pick on the Duffy Hughes. <laughs> yeah, I bet. No, you're right. I'm just happy that I'll be able to take those text messages and shut yeah. my mouth and not call a fight this week. Duffy, Duffy, Duffy just sneezed. I'm going with Hughes. Yeah, Duffy right. just yeah. sneezed. It looks yeah. like he's dealing with a cold. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. We got to rifle through this featured bout here because Ian Parker's got to pick up his son here in eight minutes at middleweight. American top teams, Antonio Carlos Jr. Minus 165 against Uriah Hall, who is plus 135. Uh, Ian Parker, your lead. You going shoe face or prime time? I'm going shoe face. I, I have no, uh, tr- unfortunately, I have no trust in Uriah Hall, even though he's got the upper hand in the, in the striking battle. You know, obviously he, he's very flashy. He's got a ton of power. I just think after Antonio Carlos's last loss, Ian Heinrich, I think he's got to get back in the win column. I think this is a good matchup for him once he gets this fight to the ground. Uh, even though Uriah is not terrible on the ground, he's nowhere at the same level. And I think shoe face, Striking capability is good enough to get him into the clinch and bring this fight to the ground. Uh, for Uriah Hall, it's unfortunate, but if you go look at his last five or six fights, it's either knocked out or get knocked out. And there's been way more of him being on the worse end than on the better end of that situation. And you can only take so much in this sport for so long with that type of style, uh, which once was a skilled fighter is now becoming a little bit more of a swing for the fence. I'm going to go with shoe face to get the submission here. Ken Flo, Uriah Hall did rally to knock out Bevon Lewis last December, so he does have momentum, but he did hit the reset button on his career after that fight, despite it being a win. He is now training full-time in Dallas, Fortis MMA under Safe Saudi. He's been there for six or eight weeks, so he's all in. He is committed to that gym and trying to really make a concerted run and effort at this thing. That being said, tough matchup against Shoeface. Your, th- your thoughts on the feature about here at 185 pounds. Yeah, and listen, who knows? I mean, that might be enough for Uriah Hall to really make those changes and, and buy into the coaching philosophy there at Fortis MMA and, and and be a changed fighter. I just think this is a very tough style matchup for him. Um, and for Shoeface, uh, you know, this is the kind of matchup that you want. A, a guy who kind of backs up, looks to try to counter here and there. But for the most part, if you get him on the ground, I think Shoeface is going to be all over him. This is a very different fight than one that is against he, Ian Heinish. And I right. think he learned a lot from that performance. I think he made a lot of mistakes uh, in that one. Uh, and hopefully he comes back sharper. I, I like Shoeface by submission in this one as well. All right, and Kemflo, we will have you lead on the co-main event here. It's a pick em right now, according to Las Vegas. Nikita Krilov, Glover Teixeira, both minus 115. Uh, we'll take a round and a method of victory if you have it as well. Who do you like in the co-main coming up in Vancouver? You know, this is an interesting one, man. I, I think both these guys, um, you know, for Krilov, he's been a little bit more consistent. Uh, for Glover Teixeira, I don't know. You know, this is at the end of his career. Um, he certainly has looked much slower in his last few fights. I think he'll have a huge advantage if he's able to take this fight to the ground and at least positionally, um, you know, 
get the better of someone like Kreloff. Um, I, I do think that Kreloff's going to have the speed advantage on the feet. I think he has the ability to try to look, uh, he can get the knockout here against Tishera, but I think Tishera is going to be a little bit too savvy here. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be the most exciting fight, but uh, I like Tishera here uh, to get the win by decision. Tashera by decision. Ian Nikita Krilov, 26 and 6. Still just 27 years old. He submitted Ovin St. Pru impressively at UFC 236 back in April. Here, though, co-main event chasing the biggest win of his career against the guy in Tashera, who really has had a great, you know, 2019 thus far. Submission wins over Carl Robertson, more recently Iwan Kute Laba back in April. Talk to me. Who do you like? Glover Tashera, Nikita Krilov, how do they get it done? Well, Kenny broke it down essentially perfectly. The only thing I will say about Glover is that he's showing us that even though he's getting rocked, it seems like every fight, he still somehow comes back and uses that high fight IQ and that veteran sauce, if you want to call it that, and get the fight to the ground and do it. Against Carl Roberson, he was getting hammered. We thought that fight was getting put away, and what did he do? He was able to submit, not saying that Roberson's a top guy, but Roberson showed us he's a very athletic fighter, and he's got a, he's a guy on the up and up. Uh, Ion Kutsalaba, very dangerous. He was able to weather that really nasty storm and get the sub. Yeah. I think with Krylov, the one thing with the Krylov fight with OSP that we saw, though, is that someone like OSP should have won that fight. He mounted Krylov, and Krylov was able to bounce back. If he gets mounted by Grover Teixeira, there's no way that that fight's not ending in Glover's favor. I don't think Krylov is going to knock out Glover. I also don't think it goes to, to a decision because I don't think either one of these guys has the cardio for that anymore. If this is going to happen, I'm going to say Glover Teixeira by submission. I'll even go first round. Wow, Glover by submission in round one. Ian Parker, John, he, he has John. He has he has to do it that way in order to win this fight. He does yeah. not want to stand up with a younger, right. faster guy. Yeah. He's not gonna. He doesn't want to take any more damage. If he has one last run left in him in a division yeah. as, as open as this almost is, he's got to do it that way. Yeah, no, I agree, I, and I think you put it well. All right, we're gonna get your main event pick, Ian, and then you can hang up anytime because I know you're on the clock a little bit. We went a little bit long with Aljo. All right, main event. Bulletproof matchmaking, number four versus number five in the lightweight division. Fifth-ranked Justin Gaethje, the minus-190 favorite. Donald Cowboy Cerrone comes back plus-160. Of course, we need the round and the method. Ian Parker, who wins the main event in Vancouver, British Columbia? This is the fight we've been waiting for. I just almost wish this happened a year ago. Um, as much mm-hmm. as I love Donald Cerrone, there is no way, shape, or form I am betting against Justin Gaethje at these odds, the amount of violence he has brought to this yeah. confidence level and after what he said to Conor McGregor. Um, I think with Cerrone, we've seen in the past, guys that are able to get to the inside and pressure him is where he really seems to have his trouble, and that is all that Gaethje does. I don't know if Donald's going to present anything on a PowerPoint. Hold on one sec. Sorry, I'm going to run away from this woman behind me. <laughs> that I don't think Cowboy has the power to do with the Gaethje what other people try to do. I just think Gaethje's going to bring the violence. I do think he's going to finish Cerrone. We've seen it happen before. I'm going Justin Gaethje. I'm Justin Gaethje's second round knockout. Justin Gaethje, round two, TKO. Ian, thank you very much. You will have to listen back to the episode to get Ken Flo's selection. We're going to let you fly, buddy. All good. Uh, tell Aljo um, this one's on him. He, be- he better win his next fight to make up for making me take less time for that man. I'm there just kidding. Go. I love Aljo. All good. All right. Hey, we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, kid. Thanks, bro. Later. All right. So we will now get Ken Flo's main event selection. And I think he might have liked Gaethje in round two, but I'm going to set this up a little bit. Justin Gaethje, couple of first round knockouts, James Vick, and then Edson Barboza since losing to Dustin Poirier. So Gaethje going for three straight wins here. 
And Cerrone's a guy who obviously wowed in that main event against Ally Quinta in May, but then he came right back and got knocked out by Tony Ferguson like five weeks later. So Gaethje, the favorite, certainly deserves that distinction, I think, at two to one. Uh, your thoughts on Gaethje and Cowboy and, and how it ends this weekend, my man? You know, uh, this one's tricky because for Cowboy, um, he doesn't start off a fight that well. Gaethje does start off very fast. Uh, and he's a guy that is going to get right in your face and against a guy uh, who's an excellent kicker like a Donald Cerrone. You need to back him up and back him up repeatedly throughout the fight as Ferguson did so well in his fight. Ferguson has a little bit different of approach um, than, say, Gaethje does. Uh, but for Gaethje, I think Gaethje has way more power in his hands than Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson just has more weapons. And I think for Gaethje, uh, this is the fight that he's wanted. And we also can't forget that Gaethje mentioned that he actually was knocked out by Cerrone in training at some point. So it's not like oh, Cerrone wow. can't it's not like Cerrone can't win this fight. I think yeah. Cerrone's best bet is going to come a little bit later in the fight. Round three, round four, round five. If Cerrone can get to that third round uh, and not be so beat up, I think it's Cerrone's fight. However, I think the first two rounds are it's going to be all Gaethje um, and I think he's going to be able to get it done. Ian Parker says round two. I'll go round one. Justin Gaethje by knockout round one. Justin Gaethje knockout or TKO for the flow who just continues to chip away. You are so destined and it's not even destiny. It's just because you're good. But you are so goddamn destined to win the 2019 main event challenge. And let's not forget, I don't even think I paid off the 2018 you main event challenge. You did, right? So it just it just means we have to meet up and and, and do that's this all it is, point. right? That's I exactly mean, right. All you it's need to do thing. is look at my fucking left forearm to know that I pay off my bets. It's just <laughs> we don't get to spend any time together anymore. I know. Um, all right, last thing because I didn't get a chance to talk at all about Edson Barboza and Paul Felder. I just want to submit yes. this one thing to you on the way out. So. 70, maybe 80% of people I've heard from thought Edson Barboza won the first two rounds, as, as did most ringside observers, okay? Generally speaking for me, uh, I thought that clearly uh, round one was Barboza's and, and round three was Paul Felder. So it just depends who you like in round two. Right. I don't like when uh, fighters get too much credit for a takedown when they don't do much with it. And I also do like when the offensive moving forward fighter is rewarded. And I do think in this fight, at the very least, Paul Felder, even though he was getting countered effectively the body when he did move forward at times, I did like the fact that he landed more statistically. He had more output statistically. He moved forward more. I thought control the octagon more, even though you probably shouldn't even consider that condition. I guess it's just a general statement on the way out that I like at least when an offensive fighter or the more offensive guy in my mind, who's always pressing forward, does get rewarded. That's and, and to your point, who beat up who when they hit the ground? Felder did beat up Barbosa on the ground, even though he was on his back. He yeah. was cutting him up with elbows. He was landing way more shots against Barbosa than Barbosa was on him. Yeah. Not to mention, was kind of close on that armbar as well. So yeah. uh, I, I agree with that. I just thought that in the second round overall, Barbosa yeah. did more damage on the feet uh, and, and was more effective and cleaner with his strikes. But on the ground, Felder was winning. It was, and that was the that was the round that was, uh, you know. The, the closest for sure that or that second round. 
You see why I want open scoring, though? I mean, imagine if Edson goes back to his stool and instead of asking Anderson, Franca, and Pahumpa if he's up 2-0. He knows two nil, exactly I right. Mean, and they told him he was up 2-0, and I think his mm-hmm. his third round sort of reflected that sentiment. But imagine he gets to look up at the Jumbotron, and he knows he needs that third round. It'd be fucking bananas, you know? I mean, can you imagine how much it would change the sport, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. But there's a problem. Sure, there's a, a, a litany of reasons why open scoring wouldn't be ideal. But uh, I am all for it. All right, we got to go. Uh, thanks to the Funk Master, Aljamain Sterling. Uh, thanks to our producer TJ Destantis, Ray Longo, Ian Parker. Next week, right back to recap. Cerrone and Gaethje will get you a preview of the Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens show that beckons next Saturday, September 21, in Mexico City. With that, for Kenny Florian, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. For all the listeners in UAE, we appreciate you coming up to us. Thanks for subscribing, for rating the podcast, for telling your friends about the show. We appreciate it so much so that we will be back with you in less than a week. Until then, yo later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today. Along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, we are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, the power of Chicano Latinx art, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.